Hey, what's good, jazz fans? Welcome to Jabber Jazz, your home for ad-free, fan-driven Utah jazz basketball content with an analytical emphasis. I'm Adam Bushman, your host. You can find me on Twitter at Adam underscore Bushman. And today we're going to be doing a little bit of catch up. Uh, it's been a little while since we did a non-special edition of the podcast, and so we're going to catch up on how the Jazz have been performing, what the upcoming schedule is going to be like. We're also going to discuss some of the recent trade buzz and what's all going on there. And then after speaking with two experts on the draft and doing a lot of research myself, I'm going to be detailing the interesting group I've identified in this draft and some of the prospects therein that I'd be looking to get if I'm the Jazz. If you like what we're doing, please consider subscribing to the podcast, whether you're on YouTube or via your podcatcher of choice. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Jabber underscore Jazz, leaving a review or a comment to let us know how we're doing. All of those things would be really appreciated and help us grow this this channel and get this podcast to as many people as possible. Well, without further ado, let's jabber jazz. Okay, so the recent play for the Utah Jazz has been pretty interesting. If we look at the past 10 games, the Jazz beat the Lucas Mavericks at home. Not surprising there. They fell to the Blazers. Damian Lillard had his 60-point game. They were very motivated with their own struggles to really get a win. The Jazz then beat the, beat the, uh, well, I shouldn't say then. The Jazz also beat the shorthanded Hornets at home. They fell to the Nets without KD, but with Kyrie doing his thing. We beat the Clippers skeleton crew. We beat the Wolves, lost to Philadelphia, beat the Magic, beat the Cavs, lost to Memphis. So overall, it's been kind of a seesaw. And if you look at the stats, that's actually borne out to be true. Record of 6-4 and four over the last 10 games. 13th in point differential. That is a plus 2.8 point differential. So right, so a little better than even, but right around middle of the pack for the league in that span. 9th on offense, 14th on defense. Uh, we, we've seen that defense really, really creep up since Walker Kessler has been taking over the starting lineup. Unsurprising, all the stats pointed to that being an avenue to really get better. And even with Kelly Olynyk coming back, as we saw in the past game, uh, they're going to roll out starting lineups that still feature Walker Kessler and, and will have Kelly Olynyk and Laurie Markkinen in the front court as well with them. And as we pegged previously, that's, that's your first major lever to pull to get that defense to improve. Uh, if we look at some of the shooting, the Jazz have been a little lucky on offense. Um, if you looked at based on where the Jazz shot, uh, they outperformed a little bit. Uh, but on the defensive end, uh, we were pretty much even on shooting luck. So the Jazz are largely beating these bad teams and losing to the good teams. Uh, it's kind of like the perfect definition of a 500 team. Uh, where the Jazz sit right now with their record and given the point differential, how they've done in the past 10 games, where they kind of are in offense and defense. Um, ultimately... Everything is kind of just pointing to the Jazz really being this hovering around 500 team. I wouldn't expect us to be 
you know, even if the Jazz keep all their players and such, I wouldn't expect us to be much further than a stone's throw from 500 either way. Even if we keep all the guys, um, I, I wouldn't expect us to fall very far from 500 either direction. And if we look at the upcoming schedule, it gets pretty interesting, in fact. If we look at the next four games, they're all at home. We have Toronto, Atlanta, Dallas, and Minnesota. All of those teams are within two and a half games of Utah. Okay, so we've got Dallas and Atlanta and Minnesota, who are ahead of the Jazz in the standings. Toronto, who's behind us. So all of those, all of those games, which, again, are at home, will allow the Jazz to either make up ground in the standings and really push the envelope on, on home court or a top succeed, or can you know flip the Jazz a bit further down the standings. Then we have the trade deadline. February 9th is the trade deadline day, and that Minnesota game happens February 8th. So we got four games until the trade deadline. All four of those are home games against teams within two and a half games of the Jazz. Really, really interesting how those games are going to shake out. Those games aren't going to decide whether or not the Jazz make a deal. I want to be clear on that. However, as the Jazz go through those games, contextually, we'll be narrative framing. Uh, we just can't help it. We're fans. We'll be narrative framing a little bit how the deals are perceived with the lens of some of the, the past couple games in the broader context of what has happened this season. So that'll be interesting. Right after the trade deadline, the Jazz hit the road for a four-game road trip out east. So they'll start in Toronto, go to New York for the Knicks, hit Indiana, and wrap up in Memphis. All those games are on the road. Two of those teams are within two and a half games of us, Toronto and Indiana. Both teams are behind us in the standings, while New York and Memphis are several games ahead of us in the standings. If you look at 538 and you look at the win percentages projected by them for each of these games, and we, we simulate what... Uh, what this stretch could look like for the Jazz. You're talking two to four wins uh, for the Jazz is what's kind of the expected outcome. Covering, I think it was about 80% of the scenarios from the simulation. So that's talk, you're talking a two and six record or, or four and four. So at best, the Jazz remained 500 through this stretch at best. So it's gonna be pretty interesting to see how it all shakes out. Again, uh, the Jazz aren't going to make a trade based upon what happens between now and February 9th, these four games that are all at home. Uh, that's not going to determine any deadline deal. But it will be interesting to see how those deadline deals get interpreted by us fans with the small uh, context of what has happened in these games in the broader context of the entire season. And it will spell some interesting things for the remainder of the season and will kind of give us a glimpse at the direction the Jazz may head. I wrote an article in uh, for SLC Dunk that you can go check out talking about ways the Jazz can kick the can. And at this trade deadline, I think there are some ways that the Jazz can postpone some discussions or some decisions, some forks in the road 
with different roster members they have um, or different roster construction approaches and kind of kick the can on those and, and postpone them for a later date since so much will be decided at this deadline and in the offseason. But that's what, how, where the Jazz kind of sit in their recent play, what's kind of upcoming as the Jazz approach trade deadline, and then All-Star break. Uh, just eight games until All-Star break. After that Memphis road game, we're at the All-Star break, and then we'll be in the home stretch of the season. So next eight games are going to be really fun, really interesting. Good mix of teams ahead and behind us, home and road, with a trade deadline smack in the middle. All right, let's talk about some of the recent trade buzz circulating around the Utah Jazz. So Mark Stein, a few days ago, reported that Markkanen and Kessler were untouchable. They were off-limits in trade negotiations. And uh, following Substack post by Mark Stein, he also said a source told him to include Oshai Abaji in that group of untouchables. Now, that word, as, as Dan Clayton on Twitter kind of pointed out, that can be conflated quite a bit. What we're really meaning, what the Jazz basically mean, is that the team is higher on these players than the general league is. So the Jazz have seen stuff because they're in practice with them, because they see their work ethic, because uh, Coach Hardy is seeing a lot of potential and starting to uh, hone their skills a lot more, that they are more valuable to the Jazz than what the league would offer. So that, I mean, that does tell us something quite a bit. Untouchable gives the impression that, hey, there's no way we would move these guys. When the truth of the matter is, hey, if the league valued them more than the Jazz do, they probably move them. But given the fact that the league doesn't value them more than the Jazz do, there's no reason to even have a discussion. So the next report was from Jake Fisher of Yahoo Sports. He reported that the Jazz are calling and engaging with teams on trades. So this one's pretty interesting given the previous regime and how we know they did business. Uh, they were very hush-hush in the media. Um, they, were, they were proactive, uh, but I think we always got the sense that, uh, that Dennis Lindsay and the former regime, they were kind of a little bit more reactionary than, than proactive at trade deadlines. Um, and what I'm getting the sense of now is that the, the Jazz are really, really entertaining this deadline as their first opportunity to craft the roster they want. Um, I wrote another article for SLC Dunk, I think it was last week, about how this is kind of like the first time the Jazz and this regime has been able to craft their roster. If you look back, the Royce O'Neal trade was about flexibility. The Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell trades were again about flexibility and preserving the future and giving giving them avenues to rebuild a team. Even the Bojan Bogdanovic trade, that was all about setting up the roster to have a better balance that would provide the environment to properly evaluate all the new pieces they were getting. They basically got this roster thrown to them in their lap, and they said, okay, well, to really 
move forward, we kind of need to see what we have. And so that's what I feel like they've done this first two-thirds of the season, really gauge what they have on the roster. And now this trade deadline is kind of the first opportunity to where they can start swapping out pieces per their plan, per their long-term vision, per their roster construction preferences. And so I think, uh, I think this report is accurate, and I think it sheds a light on uh, some of the uniqueness of this trade deadline, but then also probably the uh, different approach and the different um, the different way that this regime is going to kind of go about things. In, in that report, Jake Fisher specifically mentioned that, that Mike Conley to the Los Angeles Clippers was pretty unrealistic. Now, that was one that I had thought made a lot of sense. They're in the market for a point guard. They don't really care about the tax because Steve Ballmer has pockets for days. They also mentioned that they needed a backup, but they want to be able to still play uh, five out, stretch five. And so I thought, hey, Mike Conley and Kelly Olynyk might make a lot of sense for the Clippers. And what I'm gauging from this report is that that's a bit overblown. Uh, they probably don't have the package that would allow the Jazz or that would incentivize the Jazz to bite. I should I should say they probably aren't offering the package. They're probably not including that 2028 or 2029 first round pick that would incentivize the Jazz to bite on this deal. Therefore, uh, this this trade is probably pretty unrealistic. Uh, a recent episode on the Low Post podcast with ESPN's Zach Lowe and Tim McMahon also confirmed that report. Tim McMahon said that that trade is pretty unrealistic. Shams Charania of The Athletic, he reported that the Jazz are still after John Collins. Now, this one is a trade that I, I really am starting to think just gets done. It, it's just going to get done. The Jazz are pushing... Uh, on the Atlanta Hawks giving a first-round pick. The Atlanta Hawks are bristling against it. They, they don't feel like they need to attach an asset to get off John Collins. From the Jazz perspective, you get it. Okay, You're giving, in this, in this scenario that's being reported, Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt will go to uh, the Atlanta Hawks. In this scenario, you're giving the Atlanta Hawks two players on excellent, excellent contracts who are playing the best ball of their career. There's only three players, uh, well, as of yesterday. As of yesterday, there were only three players who have uh, made more threes than Malik Beasley. And he's coming off the bench. So you're giving the Atlanta Hawks two really good pieces who are playing their best ball on super-friendly contracts who are also still young. For John Collins with an inflated contract, a lot of guaranteed money, who's not playing his best ball. Now, if you followed the podcast at all, I am high on John Collins. I think if you nab him, you bring him to the Utah Jazz, I think he can have a turnaround that's, you know, like a 70% facsimile of what uh, Larry Markkinen did. I really think that with the new opportunity, the, the, fresh, uh, the fresh scenery, um, fresh start, and under Will Hardy, and in this kind of egalitarian offense the Jazz have, I, I really think that, uh, that he would be successful. But you could see why the Jazz are pushing on a pick. Now, Riley Gisman and uh, Utah Jazz 47, I believe, they, on Twitter, they kind of collaborated on this idea of sending uh, 
Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, and Rudy Gay to the Atlanta Hawks. And by sending Rudy Gay, you say, okay, Atlanta, you don't, don't worry about giving us a first-round pick. Just take Gay. And instead, send us a second and John Collins. That one seems like a, a, a middle of the road. Jazz get off some money uh, in Rudy Gay, for whom John Collins is really going to supplant in the rotation anyways. And uh, instead, you, you bring in John Collins and a second round pick, which makes it a bit more palatable for Atlanta. So that was a really good uh, option. Uh, Shams Charania also went on to say that the Jazz are kicking the tires on Jalen McDaniels of Charlotte and Dorian Finney-Smith of Dallas. Now those ones are pretty interesting. It's hard to read the interest there. Uh, it could be just more value plays. Hey, we're going to trade good value we got for what we think is better long-term value. That's possible. Uh, it could be more roster construction tests. It could be, hey, let's get someone in here who uh, can hit the three, who really tries hard on defense and has all the tools, right? So you're getting a more ideal mix of skills than that either Jared or Malik had on their own and who only occupies one roster spot. Um, so that could be the approach too. It, it may be that the Jazz are kind of under the impression that, hey, we're not going to get our ideal wings in the draft. Uh, it could be that they've pegged certain wings in the draft as like their guy, the one they'd like, their Jason Tatum, essentially, if, uh, to use this kind of Danny Ainge example for when he was on Boston. But it's possible they don't think they could get that guy in the draft. And um, so they might just be punting on the idea of getting those kind of wings in the draft, and maybe they just get a value play on the trade deadline. Those are some ways to read it. Um, it's possible as well that the, the, another perspective on, on how to read this report is that the Jazz are trying to, um, are trying to posture for the Atlanta Hawks saying, oh, you don't want to give us John Collins? Okay, well, you know, we're talking to Charlotte about Jalen McDaniels. We're talking to Dallas about Dorian Finney-Smith. So it's not like we don't have options. Um, and we, it's clear this this trade deadline that the this regime of the Utah Jazz, well, I guess it was clear all offseason too, that this regime, front office regime of the Utah Jazz, they uh, heavily use the media as a tool to leverage other opponents. <coughs> New York Knicks. So now let's move on to another report. Uh, Mark Stein on his substack was really, really interesting. Oh, the last thing I would just say on that John Collins piece is that in the ESPN uh, Low Post podcast, uh, Zach Lowe said, whoever trades for John Collins, the team who gets him back in the trade, Zach Lowe says, I think they're going to be very pleased with the player they get back in the deal. Meaning, if you trade for John Collins, you're going to be very pleased with the player you get back. And that's kind of my perspective on it. I think right now he's probably a little overpaid for his production, but I think his production is a function of the environment that he's been playing in, in, Indiana, in Atlanta. And that environment has worsened and worsened throughout his career. We don't need to rehash all the reasons I think he's uh, a solid bet, but suffice it to say that Zach Lowe seemingly agrees that he would be, he would be a, 
a piece that when added to a team, a team would be very pleased with, uh, with what he brings to the table. So like I was saying, Mark Stein in his Substack sub also included a really interesting sentence. He, go, he says, and quote, there's a half joking, but also half serious policy when it comes to jazz CEO Danny Ainge. That goes something like this. If Ainge is calling about a trade, let it go to voicemail. So that's a that's pretty funny, frankly. <laughs> um, but it's uh, it it can give the impression that oh hey teams are going to try to uh, you know stiff Danny Ainge. They're going to not make what is a good deal for them just to just to shove it back in Danny's face. They don't want him to win, so they will sacrifice a win themselves. That's not. That's not what's going to happen. Rival executives are going to do whatever they think is going to further their agenda. If they feel it's a win for them, it doesn't matter if Danny also feels like it's a win for them or if it's obvious it's a win for Danny. If they feel like they're winning, that's where uh, they're going to move forward. The problem, though, is this, this insight from Mark Stein that he got from sources does kind of shed light on, on if other teams are receptive to the idea that a trade with the Jazz is a win for them. The idea being that, hey, because you know Danny's on the other side of the table, does that, uh, does that confound some of the analysis for other teams on if the trade would be a win for them? And if they aren't already on board with the idea... If they're not already on board with getting Mike Conley back, for example, it's possible that, they, that they're just not going to engage with the Jazz if they're not already on board with that idea. So it's an interesting conundrum. It's, um, again, I, rival teams are going to do what's best for them. And if it's a win and it's a trade with Danny and they feel like it's a win, they're going to do it. I think this just points to other teams need to be sold on the idea before the the trade, and because I don't think Danny's kind of the convincing type anymore. I I think when he tries to convince or kind of narrative frame uh, to people, uh, I think that uh, rival teams are probably bristling at that, saying, "Oh, hey, he's just trying to get a a win lose scenario." But if they feel like it's a, a win, even if it's a win for Danny, they're going to do it. So that's pretty interesting for Mark Stein. Um, if, if we had to bet on a deal, whether a deal gets done, the smart money is, is no. No, a deal doesn't get done. Too much has to go right for everyone to be on board for a trade. Um, and it's really incredible that the Jazz were able to pull off two significant trades over the offseason when, you know, trades don't be, or stars don't become available very often. And that's kind of what helped the Jazz because other teams said, we have, to, we have to put our best foot forward because, you know, these type of players, these caliber players just don't come available very often. But um, even, even with the in a perfect scenario everything lines up that's what we have to shoot for that's that's what 
gets a trade done. Everybody feels like it's a win-win. They're able to make the money work. Um, they're balancing short and long-term agendas for both teams. Um, that's just It just takes a lot to get that to happen. With that being said, I do think the Jazz swing a trade. I do think one gets done. And I wrote an article about it. And I said that this is the first time the Jazz have an opportunity to craft their team. Uh, it's a seller's market. Zach Lowe and Tim McMahon talked about it on the podcast. Um, Tim McMahon said, there are just so few sellers on the market. Everybody is within a stone's throw of the play-in, which means that they are two games maximum away from being in the playoffs. Everybody wants to upgrade. Everybody wants to buy a new piece that pushes them over the edge into that playoff contention. So Tim McMahon said that uh, that this season, the success, the roller coaster, however you've identified or, or classified it, Tim McMahon said that Danny Ainge in no way feels like the success or roller coaster of the season is going to influence what he does at the trade deadline. He also said that the Jazz are very excited to be sellers at the trade deadline. Now it's just one uh, one reporter's. Um, it's just it's just one media member's report, but he did sit down with Danny Zanuck and Ryan Smith, and um, Ryan Smith said he's involved, but you know he's supportive of of the front office, and they were able to convince him to trade Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, and surely they could. And Tim McMahon said surely they could convince him to trade Jordan Clarkson or anyone else, given the given the good return that Danny and and Justin are proposing. So this is a seller's market, and it appears from those comments from Tim McMahon that the Jazz are really excited to be sellers. We have a lot of pieces. Zach Lowe says they're going to do something. The writing's on the wall. I've been saying it for a while. They're going to do something. There's, there's too much opportunity uh, in the market and too much opportunity in the players you have to not do something. So I agree. It's a seller's market. I think the Jazz engage there. And third, Larry Markkinen, Walker Kessler, they've emerged as, as not just you know awesome prospects, but they've emerged as long-term pieces. And you don't have to commit in any in any serious way to either of them. They're both under contract. They're both at a screaming deal right now. We can let this play out. And right now, it's about saying, okay, who fits around them? What is the ideal roster construction around them? And I think the Jazz take this first opportunity at the trade deadline to do some more experimentation. So those are some of the, that's some of the buzz that's surrounding uh, the Utah Jazz um, with, with trades this deadline. Uh, we're coming up you know, a week and a half until the trade deadline, just four games before it all comes to a head, and we'll see what the Jazz do. But uh, I get the feeling the Jazz are doing a trade, and for a while now, several weeks, I've been pegging that John Collins de uh, deal as eventually getting done. So we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk about this intriguing group of draft prospects I've identified here in the draft. There's kind of a five-player group that I am like desperate to get two of. 
Okay, so the five group, uh, five player group is the following: Cam Whitmore, Gigi Jackson, Kaysen Wallace, Anthony Black, and Jarris Walker. So those are five guys that I'm super, super interested in. Uh, if we look at uh, where these um, where these players are going in the draft, Bleacher Report, if you look at their big board, these players range from 6th through 17th. If you look at The Athletic, their big board ranked 4th through 15. The Ringer big board, 5 through 17. Sports Illustrated, 3 through 11. Locked on NBA big board, 8 through 12. So at the very least, I think this kind of demonstrates the Jazz are going to get one of these guys, probably. Now, the draft could work itself out to where, hey, Case and Wallace is really impressing. Jairus Walker is no longer um, in the back end of the lottery, but now he's kind of in the forefront. But it's possible that, hey, Cam Whitmore is, is, is sliding. So this kind of gives me the, the impression, hey, the Jazz are probably, they're probably at least within one or two picks of at least one of these guys. So say the Jazz get the 12th pick in the draft. Um, they probably have an opportunity to get one of these guys in plus or minus two picks with between 10 and 14. One of these guys probably falls to them there. Um, and that's, that's nothing to make up. That, you know, the Jazz could, with all the war chest items they have in the, in the coffers, they can, they can absolutely go snag that player. The trick is getting two. The trick is getting two because this Minnesota pick is getting worse for the Jazz. The Minnesota Timberwolves are playing a lot better. They'll be getting Carl Anthony Towns back uh, here in the next couple weeks. Anthony Edwards is really showing some great stuff. As McCade Pearson on Twitter actually put it, uh, for every two steps the Wolves take forward, they take one step back. Uh, they just lost to the Sacramento Kings in overtime last night. And... Um, they're in this mass of, of teams that are within a stone's throw of, you know, home court advantage and then within a stone's throw of, you know, middle of the lottery. So, you know, things could happen with the Timberwolves to where they continue to get better. They could also go the other direction. But ultimately, I've started just pegging that pick to be right on the board of the lottery 13 14 15 16 something in that range and that is too low from what i'm gathering from the big boards and watching these prospects that is too low for the jazz to to get now the jazz like i said they have plenty of options to move up in the draft and should the jazz go the route of of getting worse through the trade deadline they they trade some some veteran pieces that are really helping the win totals and they get some players back who are good long-term pieces but don't necessarily help in the short run perhaps our pick gets up higher and and you can finagle things but it doesn't appear that just by by you know raw raw standings or, or raw picks in the in the uh, the draft, we're going to be in the position to have two of these guys. But why this group? What is it about this group that I've identified? Well, I think that it's, I believe that any of these guys you can throw onto this Utah Jazz team regardless of what you do at the deadline. Say, for example, the Jazz decide, hey, we're going to bring everyone back. 
Okay, we're not going to make a single deadline deal. I think all of these guys you can slot in uh, throughout the roster, no big deal. Okay, Cam Whitmore. We have a, a single player like Cam Whitmore. Okay, that size, that body, that athleticism, combination of shooting. We don't have a single player like that. He would immediately be in the rotation, and he could have a path to a starting spot pretty quick. Gigi Jackson, similar thing, okay? At 6'10", with the amount of space he generates off the dribble, um, I, I, I just don't, we don't even have a guy like that who can generate that much space with his combination of, of moves, quickness, but then just the sheer size and length that he possesses. Again, I think you he would immediately get a rotation spot, and there's a good pathway to a starting uh, a starting job if if uh, if he plays well. Uh, Kaysen Wallace. Now this you know he's a player that just does everything, and everybody's high on him. And what Leaf Tulin said in our last special edition podcast is that coaches are going to be clamoring for front offices to take Kaysen Wallace. Okay, that's a guy that I don't care if you have Mike Conley on the on the team, uh, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley. If coaches are clamoring for him and Kaysen Wallace is essentially getting held back by Kentucky, uh, the Kentucky bump, as Rafael Barlow of Lockdown NBA Big Board talks about, He's going to get playing time immediately, and he could carve out a starting job with Mike Conley fading to the bench next year, kind of beginning his his off the bench backup point guard role. Uh, he could start alongside uh, Mike Conley uh, in place of Jordan Clarkson. The point is, he could immediately fit in as well. Anthony Black, okay, that size. Uh, that passing ability and a lot of that feel for the game that Anthony Black has, okay, he is and the defense, you know, he would be a real unicorn on this roster at a guard position, um, and he would absolutely make the rotation and, and could contend for a starting spot as well throughout the season. And then Jairus Walker, uh, he's he's kind of like Cam Whitmore. He I think he's got a little more off the dribble juice, a little bit more, a little better uh, creation, kind of in that mid range. He's a little bit more slippery in a way, uh, not as athletic as Cam Whitmore, but uh, really stout on defense. And I'm really high on Jarris Walker. He like Cam Whitmore and Gigi Jackson has kind of an immediate route to to a starting spot as well, uh, if if playing if playing really well. So there are other players just past this group that I really like. Uh, you talk about Bryce Sensabaugh, Grady Dick, Jet Howard, Maxwell Lewis. I like all those guys. I just think that they they aren't as they don't fit as naturally with this team. There's a lot of overlap. Um, Bryce Sensabaugh, um, different body type, but would do a lot of the same things as Jordan Clarkson, Grady Dick, and Jet Howard. Uh, Again, different body types, but would do a lot of the same thing that Malik Beasley does. Um, Maxwell Lewis, a little bit like Jordan Clarkson as well, um, and Colin Sexton. So that's where I don't feel like there's as much uh, clean fit um, with those guys. Now, say the Jazz do move off some players like uh, like Malik Beasley. Um, lots of buzz about him to Memphis or to New Orleans or to Atlanta. Uh, say the Jazz move off of uh, Malik Beasley. Well, then all of a sudden, if you have that 
a 14, 15, 16 pick from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Well, all of a sudden, that pick is right in the neighborhood of Grady Dick, Jet Howard, Maxwell Lewis. And you could bring one of those guys in without much issue at all uh, because you freed up some, some, not just some roster spots, but you freed up some rotation spots. You've also freed up, um, I guess, roles and skills that are needed. You've kind of allowed for that to be unique and, and not to have so much overlap with, uh, with things. So that's, that's kind of why this group intrigues me so much. I think it's a nice, nice balance of upside um, with kind of a value spot. Um, I would hope the Jazz sneak into the top 10 with their pick and they can grab one of these guys. Hopefully the Minnesota pick trends to the 10 to 12 range so that maybe you have a shot at getting one of these guys with that next pick. Otherwise, I do think a, a Sensabaugh, a Dick, a Howard, a Lewis would be more than acceptable with that Minnesota pick uh, if the Jazz are, to, are able to... Um, configure the roster um, going forward that would allow for them to more fit a lot cleaner. Um, but uh, but for, for that kind of to happen, for, for the Minnesota pick to kind of get up that far, uh, it's going to be difficult. Um, basically, if we look at 538, their projections for the end of the season, uh, the Jazz are three games out of the top ten. Four games out of the top six. Wolves are two games out of the top ten. Three games out of the top six. So I mean, we're more we're basically in the same spot because of how these standings have worked worked out. We're I'm you know one game. Wolves lose. Jazz win. We flip flop spots. It's it's really really weird. But the Jazz can can control their own destiny, and that's what's pretty interesting about this trade deadline. Not only is it the first opportunity this regime has to craft their roster to really kind of uh, you know, experiment with the formula and to get the pieces in they know they like, right, per their roster construction preferences. But it's also, it's also an avenue they can use to control their destiny in the draft. I would bet that the Jazz are very high on someone in this, in this group I've pegged. Um, Cam Whitmore, Jairus Walker, they feel like bread and butter Danny Ainge guys. They just feel like Danny Ainge guys. Cason Wallace, he feels like a Danny Ainge, Will Hardy guy. Okay, you know we've talked about him in comparisons to Drew Holiday and Marcus Smart. That just feels like uh, a a Will Hardy, <laughs> Danny Ainge guy. So I think they they have a lot of guys in this range they like. Uh, in this group I've pegged, and that's why they're not too concerned with where the Jazz sit right now. Because you move two of Conley, Conley Beasley, Olenek, Vanderbilt, all of a sudden you probably bridge the gap into that 6-8 to eight range. And it's just a matter of winning a game or losing a game here towards the end of the season from all parties. And, you know, maybe you end up at 9, but maybe you ascend all the way to 6. And so... I think if the Jazz get themselves right there, they'll be in perfect, perfect uh, contention for one of the, that group. And if that Minnesota pick gets favorable, they'll be in contention for a second. Or uh, if the Jazz are kind of in that uh, 12 to 14 range, uh, with all the, all the draft capital they have going forward and can maybe come back 
in deals for those veterans. I think they have more than enough ammo to move up should the Jazz be interested in a second player from that group. Otherwise, um, that other group, Grady Dick, Maxwell Lewis, Jet Howard, Bryce Sensabaugh, that group is, is more than talented as well. Well, thanks so much for joining me on the Jabber Jazz podcast. I really appreciate you guys listening. If you really like what we're doing, I would really encourage you to leave us a review in your podcatcher, uh, a comment on YouTube, uh, or just give us a shout out on Twitter at Jabber underscore Jazz. Uh, Those things would be really awesome to let us know that people are out there enjoying our content and help us distribute some more Jabber Jazz talk to others. Well, as is customary with the podcast here, we're going to leave you with some sounds of jazz. Jazz.